Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. It's a joy and a privilege for me to be uh, with you this evening. And uh, I'm sitting outside, uh, hoping nobody will come. But unfortunately, you're all here. So I need to speak. And uh, because people are all going with the kids right across there. And uh, I thought there's some uh, kids program is going on. And all the parents are going over there. And then suddenly I realized that some of you started coming back. And uh, so I was looking at the board that several good things are happening. And uh, so you're stuck with me. So let's have some time for the next few minutes. And uh, let's see what the Lord wants to speak to us. As Pastor Mel was saying, that uh, I'm a pastor from India. And uh, every time when I'm in this country, uh, people always ask me, oh, so where do you live? Or do you live in Chicago? Or do you live in California? And so I have always used to tell them that uh, I don't live here. So I'm uh, an Indian. I was born in India. And I live in India. And one day I'm planning to die in India. So I made kind of a deal with God saying, God, I would love to die in my country if ever I needed to die. So every time when the plane takes off, I will say to the Lord, have you got any plan of taking me home? And if that's the case, let's turn the plane around and go down. I want to go back. And maybe the Lord will honor me and um, uh, help me the, to happen. And I have been in the ministry for the last 42 years. Uh, the Lord called me uh, for the ministry when I was 21 years old. I, I hope that you, you know how to do maths so that you can find out how old I am, you know. I might look like 80, but I'm not there yet. And... Uh, so I was a chemist, and I was working for a pharmaceutical company called Siba Gaigi. It's a pretty good-paying job, and uh, in Indian standards, it was a bright future for me. And everything was going on well, and uh, one day, when I was praying, the Lord called me for the ministry. But India is different to this country. You don't have opportunities. You don't have churches waiting for youth pastors. You don't have anything like that. And all the pastors that I have never known in my life was people have been very miserable. I don't mean spiritually, but they didn't have anything. You know, they, they're suffering and, and starving, their children starving and no money. It's hard life. So I always used to think, that anybody who has got any common sense should never become a pastor. So that's what I felt. So you can imagine me, God calling me, uh, you know, to resign my job and asking me to come out and do the ministry. And I promise you I was not jumping up and down, saying, thank you, Jesus. What a great privilege. Uh, as a matter of fact, I said to God, well, it's not a good idea. I said, uh, it'll be nice, 
if you let me have my job, and so I will be okay, and I can have some money, and I can give you some money also. So that didn't work. I tried. When God makes up his mind, it's pretty difficult to change. Have you found that out? And uh, have you ever had a fight with God in your life? So how does it end? God wins and we lose. And it's, it's nice that way because when you look back, we will always say, it was nice that I lost. It doesn't look good at that time, but uh, it looks much better when, you know, when uh, what God has done through our life. Anyway, so I, I resigned my job. I took a shoulder back and I filled it up with tracks and my Bible. I said goodbye to my family and I walked out of my house. That was in 1974. And didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do, what I'm, you know, what is ministry. I didn't know how to preach. So nobody invited me to speak. And I still wonder whether I can preach. Well, that's a problem for you. And uh, say, so, you now that's what I thought. And um, I walked out, wandered around the streets and villages, handing over the tracts to the people. That's the only thing that I knew in those days, to give the tract and tell them Jesus loves them and smile at them. And I can smile okay, so there's not a problem. And uh, so that's what I did. And several weeks down the road, I found... Uh, all the money I had was all finished and I found myself in a strange place with no money in my pocket and no place to stay and nothing to eat. Pretty exciting way of living, don't you think? And uh, so I literally lived on the streets in the early times of my ministry and uh, didn't have any idea. Used to go without food, starving for about four or five days and my greatest miracle in those days in my life was God giving me something to eat through somebody that I never knew. And um, that was my greatest provision in my life. And uh, so that's how I lived. I used to sleep in front of the shops. Uh, when the night fell, nobody, no place to go. So I'll just sit there and try to sleep. And uh, I used to walk about 15, 20 miles every day. Not because I loved walking. I didn't have the money to pay for my bus fare. Just a few pennies I needed, but I didn't have it. And um, so I started to wonder, why did God call me? You know, I come from a state, I don't know whether you know about India. I come from a state called Kerala where Thomas... You know, the, the disciple, apostle, the doubting Thomas came to my state in AD 52. So we got a huge tradition of Christianity, almost 2,000 years. So whenever the kids are born, all our people from the Orthodox, Episcopalian kind of backgrounds, and they made sure that they gave uh, the biblical names to their children. So if you come to my state, there'll be about 10,000 Abrahams, 25,000 James, and 50,000 Peters, Johns, you name it. So I really started to wonder whether God called me 
thinking that I was some other Abraham. You know, because there are so many of them. Because I, life didn't seem to be going anywhere. Anyway, so God said, I have called you to evangelize the nation of India. Didn't have a clue what India was like. And only I found out later, India is a nation of nations. You know, we speak 22 major languages. It's not a dialect because we have got over 1,000 dialects in India. So these are all fully blown up language like English. And every state is like a nation. It's totally different in their culture. Anyway, so I thought, all right, I have to do something. So I decided to have street meetings. So I went and found four poles and put it up and put a tarp on the top to make it look like a platform. And uh, the older people will know, I will go and rent a couple of gas lanterns. You know what a gas lantern is? Like you pump the gas and the mantle glows. Pretty cheap, you can, you can rent it. So, so that was my crusade. So here I was, didn't know how to preach. So I'm trying to say whatever I know the best I can. And uh, I was trying to, to share the gospel to the people. And they almost seemed like God felt sorry for me. You know, it almost like God looking down from heaven and saying something like this. That's the most pathetic meeting I've ever seen in my life. You know, and then God saying something like, maybe he needs help. So God came down. So how do I know? Because it was just on the roadside. I saw miraculous things happen. I saw blind eyes open. Lame walked. You know, demons screaming and coming out of the people. And people came and gave their hearts to the Lord. And um, got saved. And, and I baptized them. And that's how my church was established. Didn't have any plan of starting churches. I promise you that. You know, but at the end of the day, what is church? Church means people, right? Well, people means problems. So who wants to have church? I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about India, you know? So I, all I wanted was to preach the gospel and go on. But anyway, so people got saved. And that was the first church, as Pastor Emil said. Today I have got uh, more than 4,000 uh, 100 churches right across the nation of India and keeps growing all the time. Amen? Well, that's a little bit of my life story. The rest of it I'll share with you next Wednesday. That is a kind of trying to get you back. I may not win, but trying. Okay? If you want to hear some more stories, that'll be fine. And I want to share with you today uh, a message that God has put in my heart. Unfortunately, I, they wanted to know the title of my message. I'm not used to that. I've never been to a Bible college. So I don't live on these titles and all that. But the church insisted I should have a title. So I quickly made up one and I said it. Because I said so, I can't change it. I always feel like changing my message at the last minute, but not today. I'm stuck with what I'm going to say. So I want to talk to your message for the next few minutes. 
After I finish, if you wanted to ask any questions or anything like that, that'll be fine. Feel free to ask. I will not answer, but uh, you can ask anything you like. And so, I want to talk to you about Abraham's call to obedience. The most important aspect of this message is, it's my name, okay? Because I always believe that no message is complete without mentioning Abraham's name once. So I, I picked him up to share about uh, my topic today. So Abraham's call to obedience. I want to read a couple of verses for you in Genesis chapter 12. And we're reading verse 1, 2, and 3. And now the Lord had said to Abraham, he says, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And verse 2, it says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this is God's promise to Abraham. And the promise is written in verse 2 and 3. And he says, I will make you a great nation. How many of you would like to have these Abraham's blessings in your life? You know, can you say your hand? Do you normally show your hand here? All right, that's nice to know. I don't know what you do here when you want to say, yeah, I agree. So he says, I will make you a nation. And you agree with that? And I will bless you. How many of you want that? You know, and he says, and I will make your name great. Is it good? You like that? And then he says, and you shall be a blessing. And then he goes on to say, I'll bless those who bless you. And I'll curse everyone who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's a pretty decent blessing, don't you think? But the only problem is, the blessing is in verse 2 and 3. To get to verse 2 and 3, you have to start from verse 1. And that is where the problem is. And when you look at verse 1, here God says, I want you to get out of your country. I want you to get out of your family. I want you to leave your father's house to a land that I will show you. And if you don't go through verse 1, verse 2 and 3 is not for us. But verse 2 and 3 will belong to us if you are willing to go through verse 1. And that is what my message is today. Abraham's call for obedience. And he's calling, God is saying, I want you to get out of your country. Some of us don't even want to leave our street. Forget about the country. You know, we, are, we want to be stuck in the place where we are. We would not want to do anything different. We are, we are so used to what we are doing. And we don't want to change. But here God talking to a guy who is 75 years old. That's not the time to start a journey. That's the time you hang your shoes and put your feet up and say, I'm done. 
And here God is calling him at that time and he's saying, I want you to get out of your country, leave your father's house, leave your family, and I want you to move on to a land that I will show you. Show me now. He said, no, you leave your country first. You know, isn't that something? God will not even show him where he's supposed to go. But God says, you trust me, and you do what I ask you to do. If you will do that, and verse 2 and 3 will be yours. Amen? And Abraham chose to obey God. In verse 4, we read like this. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. He did not wait for another five years. He did not wait for a thunder and lightning to come upon. And God speaking, you know, with a heavy voice. When God spoke to him, he was ready. He left his father's house. He left everything behind. And he started following. Amen. And obedience is a word that we all know, we all use, and um, we talk about it. But I believe that obedience requires so many things. It is not just saying something with your word that makes obedience. It's not just a little thing that you and I have done that made you and me obedient. Obedience demands quite a few things in our life. And I want to talk to you today just three things that obedience requires from every one of us. And that is how obedience becomes obedience. So that God can be pleased with us. So that God can see you and me like Abraham that God can bring blessing upon us just like God brought the blessing upon Abraham. So that's what I want to share with you. And number one, obedience requires leaving things behind. That's number one. You cannot carry everything that you have got and then also move on and obey God in your life. The first thing that God requires from you and me is he's saying, I want you to get out of your country. I want you to leave your family. I want you to get out of your father's house. What he's trying to say is, I want you to get out from where you are and come to a place where it'll be, you'll be all alone and it'll be just you and me. That's what God is saying. Well, it is, it takes, it's a step of faith. You know, you need to have the courage. You need to have the audacity to do that. Because your security is gone. Everything that you're hoping for, hanging on to, is gone. You're not there anymore. And trusting the words of God, you have stepped out. And now, now you're standing there all alone. And all you have got is God. And all you have got is where he's going to lead us. Amen. So that's the number one requirement. Obedience requires that we must be willing to leave things behind. Amen? Right through the Bible, if you study from the book of Genesis, if you go right through the Bible, there is one principle that goes like a thread right through this book. And that is what we call the leaving and the cleaving. Right from the book of Genesis. Every principle based on this thing, willing to let go so you can achieve 
and acquire something. Amen? Look at Genesis. Here Adam and Eve were married. And uh, then we read like this. And he said, therefore, that man will leave his father and mother and he will join to his wife and they both will become one flesh. So there the principle begins right from the very first book, right from the beginning of this universe where it says man leaves something and clings on to something else. He leaves his father and mother and he clings on to his wife. Amen. And you go through, we don't have the time to go through the whole study. And every time you still like you come to the book of Ruth. And there she comes with Naomi. She comes to the land of Israel. And she goes into the land, into the field of a man by the name Boaz. And Boaz was showing kindness to this, this Moabite Gentile widow. And when he showed the kindness, uh, and uh, uh, Ruth is asking this question, how, how come you do this to me? I don't even belong to this place. I'm not even a virgin. I'm a widow. I'm a Gentile woman. How come you're showing this, this mercy to me? And you know what the words, the answer of Boaz was? Boaz says, you know why I do it? Because I have heard how you left your father and how you left your mother and how you left your country and how you have come to a land, to a people that you have never known. And that is the qualification of Ruth. Nothing else. There's nothing goes in favor of her except the fact that she was willing to leave. You remember the time when, when, when Naomi was telling Ruth and Orpha, the, uh, the other uh, daughter-in-law. She said, get back to your people. I don't have any sons to give it to you. You know, I'm going home. You go and marry somebody and live there. And, and Orpha kissed her and went back. But we see that Bible says that Ruth clung on to Naomi. And she said like this, no, don't you ever dare to ask me again to leave you and go back to my country. And if you want to know, this is my, my decision. This is my, my commitment. She said, I want you to know that from now on that uh, your people shall be my people. Your land will be my land. Your God shall be my God. And until death will separate us, there's no plan of me leaving. Amen? So you see, the challenge comes to us that we must be willing to let go of the things that we hold on so precious to us. And we say, God, I don't want to let go of this, but I still want your blessing. I still want you to fulfill your plan and purpose. But God says, it will not work. I have a land there. I've got a place prepared for you. And I've got a blessing waiting for you. But unless and until you're willing to let go of it, it's never going to happen. Amen. And you come to the New Testament. And there Paul says like this. He says, um, forgetting the things that are behind and looking forward to the things that are ahead of me. I'm pressing on towards the mark of my calling. Amen. And it says in another place, 
When I compare the things that are here at present to the things, the glory that is about to come, I would like to consider this as dung and rubbish and good for nothing. And I'm willing to let go of this looking on to the glory that is to come for me. Amen. Friends, that is the first challenge that you and I have in our life. Obedience, well, it requires the willingness to let go and leave things behind so that you will come to a place where you stand that you and God alone and God says, I will take it from here. Amen. Till that time, you cannot expect him to do things the way that you want him to do. That's not the way God is. God wants you and I to do things in his way. And that's number one. And the second one is in, in Genesis chapter 16. There we read like this. Are the, the second thing I would like to say will be obedience requires patience and perseverance. You know, you, you press on and you wait and you wait and you wait. How long? Until God brings it to pass. The story is Abraham and Sarah comes out. They were Abraham and Sarai. God changed their names because God told them, I'll give you a child and I'll make your name great and I'll make you a great nation. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. They'll be as numerous as the sand of the seaside. And only if the problem was they were too old to begin with. And the time was passing. Years were running. And God will keep on repeating the same thing. And they are thinking, but, 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 but it's not happening. And more so with Sarah. And Sarah says, Abraham, it's not going to happen. I am not that young chick that you knew. I am not of the age of childbearing. I don't know what God is thinking about. And even when we started, I was 65 years old. And now things are getting worse. And I think it's not going to happen. So then Sarah, with her brains and wisdom, she decided one day, maybe God needs some help. Have you thought like that? We have done so many stupid things, thinking that God might need some help. Well, I want you to know tonight, God does not need your help. If God wants to do something, he's capable of doing it. Amen? He does not need a hand from us. So now she comes up with this great idea. And she tells her husband, I got a nice young girl. There's a chance. She is an Egyptian girl. Her name is Agar. I want you to take her as your wife and bring a child. And sure enough, it worked. Sarah thought, I was a good one. I did better than God. God was trying for about 13 years with no use. I couldn't do anything. Here, look at this. It just happened just like that. And she brought forth a son, and they called his name Ishmael. The only disobedience that Abraham and Sarah did. The disobedience of impatience. The lack of perseverance 
That's what they did. And out of that, the fruit comes out as Ishmael. What more I will say? Because of that one act of disobedience, the whole world is paying the price even today. Can you imagine that if they would have stayed on the course, trusting in God, waiting for his time, what a world it would have been. But Sarah's great monkey brains, you know, she came up with this great idea. Poor God needs help. Let's do it. And here we are, stuck with it. Amen. That's the number two. Obedience requires patience. And number three, we come to Genesis chapter 22, where God is calling out to Abraham and he's telling him to sacrifice his son Isaac. So that's the third thing is obedience requires sacrifice. Amen. Well, by the time I'm done, we'll say, I don't want to obey. Don't bother me. I'm not ready for all these things. I'm tired of this. Thank you very much for telling me. I know what I should do. I should not obey. Right? Because obedience comes up with all this package. So obedience requires sacrifice. God called Abraham and he says, you know, you have a son, don't you? Your only son. The son that you love. He's almost like rubbing on him. And then he said, by the way, I want you to take him to Moria and there on a mountain, I want you to sacrifice him to me. Well, Abraham was, was uh, uh, more wise these days because of what happened with Sarah. This time he didn't tell her. Because if you will tell her about this deal, it's not going to happen. So early morning, he takes his son, packs up the things with some of his servants, and he's on his way to sacrifice his only son. They got there, and then as they came to the foot of the hills, then he left his servants, and now the father and son are going towards the top of the mountain. And when I used to read this story, you know, many years ago, I used to picture like this, like this father Abraham and his son Isaac, about two years old, this little kid, you know, just plodding along with the dad. And all he needs to do is get this kid to that mountain, tie him down and put him on the altar, cut him into pieces, burn him down and come home. That's what I thought. But then I realized he's not a little baby. He's about 20 years old. He's a young man, six feet tall, strong and handsome and muscular. And this old guy is about 120 years old. Now the whole scenario changes. Okay? He had the young man carrying the wood on his head and asking the father all the time, by the way, dad... Well, I got the fire and the firewood, and where is the lamb to be sacrificed? And the father uses his nice words, and he says, Son, Jehovah Jireh, and my, our God will provide. So his son shuts up for a while, and then he goes along and he asks again, We're getting close. Where is the lamb to be sacrificed? Said, Jehovah Jireh. So by the time they got there, they made the, uh, the altar ready. And now Abraham has to tell his son that it was he 
who is going to be the sacrifice. And you can, you can imagine the, the broken father, you know, trying to hide his tears and trying to explain to his only son, you know, the, the promise. And now he's going to be thrown on that altar and cut into pieces in, in a few moments. And he says to the son, son, I'm sorry, it's you. God wants me to sacrifice you. Now I'm starting to think like this, but now he's a young man. Isaac has got quite a few choices before him, right? Number one, he could say something like this, Dad, I think that's not a good deal. You have lived your life, but I'm just about starting. Maybe I think we should reverse it. I think I should put you on that altar, you know? It'll be okay for you to be a sacrifice, but I got a whole life in front of me. He could have done that. Or he could have said, Dad, come over here. Let me talk to you and take him slowly to the cliff and push him over the cliff and then run for his life and run all the way back to his mama. Imagine, you know, going into the house, you know, panting and puffing and says, Mom, do you have any idea? Daddy was going to put me on the altar and cut me to pieces. He was going to sacrifice me. And can you imagine, imagine Sarah? He said, Didi, you go and shut yourself in that room. Get that machete. Let me see when that old man comes here. Right? He could have done that. But I wanted to see something here. When I, whenever we talk about the story, it's almost like the, the obedience of Abraham. But I wanted to show a different side of the story as we finish in a few minutes. And here, Isaac is 20 years old. He doesn't need to allow himself. He can run away. He can escape. He can just get away from this sacrificing deal. But it didn't happen that way. And I see a young man, Isaac, Looking at his father, who is telling him, God told me to sacrifice you. Number one, he did not even doubt his father. Because he knows his dad. He knows his dad's relationship with his God. He knew how his father heard the voice of God. And he knew how much he obeyed him. So he did not even have, a, 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 have an atom of doubt that his father heard God right. So, and then he says, if that's the case, if God wants me to become the sacrifice, okay, let's do it. And you can imagine that Abraham cannot pick him up and put him in the altar. He has to jump on it. He has to lie down on the altar. And there is a young guy lying on the altar and he's telling his father, okay, dad, tie my hands so that I will not do anything that God doesn't want me to do. Tie my legs so that I will not go anywhere that is not pleasing before God. And he said, cut me into pieces. Make me a sacrifice. So let me become a sweet aroma before God in my life. I wanted to see uh, there is another generation. I look at Isaac as a type of 
a young generation coming up. And here is a young man who is saying that I'm willing to become a sacrifice. I'm willing to yield myself. I'm willing to be tied. I'm willing to give my life in a way that <clears throat> I will do things pleasing before God. I wanted to imagine that scene before you tonight. And there he is lying there with his hands and his legs tied. And he's looking at his dad. And he says, do it. Do it, I'm ready. And Abraham takes this huge knife in his hands. You know, God is always cool. He doesn't get nervous. He doesn't get upset like we do. But this was one of those times where God became nervous. Because this is going to be such a kind of a test. But when he looked down, the guy, the young guy is not fighting. He's lying there with his hands and his legs tied. And the father is not hesitating. And there he is holding on to his knife. And any moment, he's going to cut the body of his son into pieces. And God didn't know what to do. And if you read the story, it is pretty interesting. When God called him, when the, the chapter begins, God said, Abraham. And Abraham says, yes, Lord. And he says, go and sacrifice your son. But now... God is not calling him once because God is a bit worried. And God wants to make sure that he will not put that knife on the body of Isaac. So God, I can imagine God going like this and God says, God is calling out and he says, Abraham! And he says, just in case if the guy didn't hear it, he's calling it one more time. He calls him twice from heaven, screaming out to Abraham. To say to him, don't do it. It was just a test. Amen. Obedience requires sacrifice. And I want you to see in this story, more than Abraham, I look at the dedication of Isaac. You know, I believe with all my heart, I am 63 years old. And my kids are growing and my son is in the ministry with me. And, uh, and I'm looking at the young people around. And this is my prayer. And I say to God, God, you have to raise up another generation. Before the curtain will come down, before it will all be finished one day, when it will all be over. But before that, I believe that God has got a plan. God has got a purpose of, bringing an amazing move of God. And for that to happen, I believe that Isaac should come up. Young generation should rise up. And they should be willing to say, I don't want to do these things anymore. Tie my hands. I don't want to go to these places anymore. Tie my legs. I want to yield myself. I want to become a sacrifice for God. Paul says like this, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Amen. I believe the days have come that God will raise up your children, your sons and daughters, that they will come up with a dedication in their hearts, not this wishy-washy Christianity, 
Not just coming and sitting in a corner on a Sunday and feeling that I am a great Christian. But I believe the time is going to come that our young people will rise up in a situation where uh, they will be willing to sacrifice anything, do anything for God, pay the price so that the kingdom of God will be established in the face of the earth. Amen? And that's what obedience is calling for. But I think I'm done. And uh, so this is what I want to finish with. Would you like to obey God? It costs you. Amen? But the good news is this. It costs you. But there's always a verse 2 and verse 3 waiting for us. Amen? That nobody else can have it. Only the people who will go through verse 1 will have verse 2 and 3. That's for you and me. When you and I are willing to say, Lord, I've been holding on to this. It was too precious for me, too, too, too close to me. But now I realize if I hang on to it, I can't have what you have got for me in store. But I'm willing to let go. I'm willing to let go of that, Lord. Because I want what you have got for me. How many of you would like to say, Lord, I want what you have for me in store? Not what you want, but what God has got for you and me. Amen? Do you want that? And I'm telling you, it's not a big deal to go through verse 1. You know why? Because there, as you walk out of your country, as you walk out of your familiar things, as he let go of everything, God says, I'm there. Let's walk together. Amen? And be patient until God's time will come. Amen? And let's sacrifice. Let's pray for a younger generation to rise up so that God's name will be glorified. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we, we come to the presence of God tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the life of Abraham. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done in and through his life. Father, I pray that you will enable each and every one of us here tonight who will have the courage and the faith and the dedication and the willingness to sacrifice, Lord, to obey you, Lord, so we can truly receive the blessings that you have got for us in store. I pray that you will bless everyone who is here tonight. May God's name will be glorified through every one of us. We praise you, Lord. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.